Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. So hey, this is Dave. Yanni. Duncan. And we're just hanging out, uh, talking about stuff today. Um, actually, first of all, what has everyone been playing this week? Warhammer 40k for far too long. <laughs> what army do you field? Tau. Your Tau, right, yeah. But I, I almost dropped out of the campaign, not because Ooh. I'm not having fun, but because every game I've played has taken upwards of four hours. Um, is that like the, is that like a change in the rules has made? Part of it's the rules. Part of it is I haven't played in a, uh, since fourth edition, and we're sixth edition now. Uh, though really, sixth edition is a lot more similar to fourth than it is to fifth. Um, <laughs> so I'm not having that hard time of transitioning, whereas uh, some people who played fifth have. But still, it's just the, the game has never been fast. It is. Have, you, never, have you tried just playing thousand point games? That's what I'm going to do. I've got a thousand point game for this Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to take forever anyway because I forgot that I'm working for Will when I scheduled it. Oh, oh so you're so going to be playing in chain turns in between, yeah. <laughs> rolling but dice in between, bringing people out. Convince people to do it. Forty K is totally playable at five hundred points. It's it's actually fun. Yeah, and it goes way 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 way. I could just way, take way, an way, HQ. Way no, that's that's still not allowed. But <laughs> well, I mean, my my campaign HQ is 391 points. Oh, so like an HQ and two units of three gun drones. <laughs> Those kind of troop choices. Those are right? legal troops choices, I'm sure. I, I also played a game of Miss Katonic School for Girls yesterday. Well, really? The 40k game I played yesterday took so long that by the time it was over. I had time to go get food, and then put the 40K miniatures away, and then it was time for the 40K campaign meeting. <laughs> and then after that, it was 9 o'clock, and, you know, I got to get one board game in. So I'm kind of kind of a little bummed about that. How are you playing Pokemon Black and White 2? And it's, it's actually kind of cool, because I've I finally, like, gotten into the plot, and the bad guys flew up in an airship and, like, iced an entire city. So it's Seriously? A nice puzzle. Yeah. There's, like, environmental changes in Pokemon Black and White 2. See, I heard that the plot game. was, like, the bad guys are eco-terrorists. They're, like, the Pokemon Liberation Front the, or something uh, like that. Yes. They're, well, in the first game, they were the Pokemon Liberation Front, and then it turned out that they were evil, and basically everybody became aware that they were actually evil, and, like, some of them were in it to liberate Pokemon, and the rest of them were in it so that they could have all of the Pokemon, and... Like, the, the high-up leadership were actually villainous. And now, in Pokemon Black and White 2, there's a there, there's kind of two sides to Team Plasma. There's these guys who still run around in the old knight uniforms that they used to wear and are still trying to be good guys. And they, they're actually interested in liberating Pokemon, but not to the same degree because they realized that was not very <laughs> nice. And then there's bad guys who dress in more Pokemon bad guy team uniform styles. Yeah. So now there's there's not like a liberating Pokemon front, is there? No, that's certainly not what they're called. They're Team Plasma. Mm. Uh, have, sort have of you like guys, Team Rocket. You guys have seen <laughs> exactly like uh, Team Rocket, but the, now they wear like the berets with little skulls on them. Okay. The bad guy ones, and they're super bad and are 
tricks forever. So. The the uh, life of Brian. You guys seen that? I slept through some of that uh-huh. once. Oh, there's there's one bit in in there where they're talking about like the secret uh, group that they're a member of, which is the Judean People's Front. But then it turns out that the some are, some of the people are actually from the People's Front for Judea, or <laughs> like, like there's like four or five different that groups scene. that all all have the same words just in different orders and mm-hmm. like the all hate each show. other and and so uh. like I was just picturing like the, the the Pokemon Liberation Front and the the Liberating Pokemon Front as being like <laughs> these arch enemies. Uh, one of them's actually good and one's not, but everyone thinks they're both evil because the so the only reason I asked about the the Pokemon Liberation Front is that I think it's Matty Bryce from the Borderhouse blog, who this is sort of a social justice in gaming blog, was talking mm-hmm. about how Pokemon is sort of a blood sport. It's sort of like dog fighting, mm-hmm. and so uh, that you know to prove a point, she's writing like a play log of the game, mm-hmm. but replacing um, trainer with master and Pokemon with slave. And it makes for really compelling reading. <laughs> I mean, in a, in a disturbing sort of way. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I read a thing on, like, Facebook today. It was one of those childhood-ruined things. And uh, it was pointing out that in Pokemon, you are a child whose mother accepts him as the man of the house, and then you, like, go off on an adventure where everything is either gyms or hospitals. And... Like, every adult male you meet is affiliated with the military, and there are not many of them. And so, clearly, you're living in the aftermath of some war, where everybody got drafted and killed, and <laughs> you're, like, the first generation of people to leave your houses afterwards. That's, that is pretty twisted. <laughs> it, yeah. It's weird how in fiction, you know, they create these worlds. Like, I, I find this, the space, the, the sort of the fictional space in a lot of games to be very much like a, like a dream. Like there's there there are these sort of necessary uh, conceits that if you actually <laughs> sat and thought about them for five minutes would blow your mind how ridiculous the, or scary or just screwed up the world is the whole unfortunate <laughs> everything has unfortunate implica- implications that's that's that sort of thing but man that's yeah no, I've, I've <laughs> read a, an article on the role playing game stack exchange the other day. Guys There's a role playing game stack exchange. Yeah, that's cool. Um, <laughs> okay, I swear. I, to I have I have a pretty high that. rep on there too. Um, <laughs> but uh, this guy was like asking how, and I I didn't answer. I I almost wish I did. But he's asking how to cause his players to role play fear. Um, and like really, I wanted to say, look, play dread. Yeah, three five isn't. Is you, you're not going to have that happen if you want. If you want fear, play dread or don't rest your head or some other. Um, God, there was a game. I want to say it was like Primal or Primus or something. I played back in the day. It was a horror role playing. Um, the, the problem. The problem is unless your people are, unless your people are actually good actors. Mm-hmm. Like whether your method or oh, frick, I always forget the other one. Um, starts also starts with an M. You know, unless you can really get into that and feel that fear inside of you as your character, it's really hard to. Most of the emotions we get in play, I think, are just the. We can relate to our characters because they're doing something that's you know they're in, engaged in some sort of action or they're or they're excited or they're lusting after someone, and we can 
fear is really, really hard. I think well, that's why um, a lot of the like the Cthulhu type games fall flat too. Mm-hmm. Well, then again, in D anD D, especially fourth edition, but even in three five to some extent, it's hard to die. Like, it really is. Oh, well, um, and and he, the 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 guy who was asking the question um, was like gave an example and he's like so yeah I, I sent them this thing that was like way harder than them and it came out shooting lasers from its eyes and like turned some people to stone and they were protecting this kid and so they turned the kid invisible and fought it and there was like only one PC death but they managed to resurrect the guy afterwards and they won and they're like well you know that's a good reason for them not to show fear so uh, can I actually can I actually I've, I've done this in so I've actually run a couple of modules in D&D so, so this is this is D&D advice mm-hmm uh, <laughs> disclaimer: A couple of modules in D and D that I wrote that I thought did you know okay job. The key is the unknown. It's the same reason that everyone's bitching about this new Aliens game. That I mean, other than it's unfinished and sucks. Oh, but I was looking. I watched. I saw a preview for it. The trailer on, is a whole bunch of content that didn't make it into the actual game. But but I saw a trailer on TV. Oh, like a commercial for it during The Walking Dead, uh, mm-hmm. which is the only time I watch TV. That's not on DVD, basically. <laughs> um, and I was looking at it, and I was just like, "Oh my god, the graphics on this are terrible! This looks like a game from ten years it, ago." They, they were, they're pretty terrible. <laughs> and then Blake was like, "Man, the graphics on this are terrible." And I was like, "Yeah, I was just thinking that." Because, um, but oh my god, they're they are they're ridiculous. But what I was going to say was, um, it's the unknown. It's the thing you don't see. So one module, they were fairly low level, and they were in a, a village where they knew where there they were gradual indications that at least some of the people there were werewolves, but they didn't know who. They didn't know when a werewolf was going to jump out at them, and they only ever ran into one werewolf, and it was someone who was already hurt, and they had pinned in a room, who wolfed out because of a thing, which I won't get into details. But they were at the edge of their seats that whole game because they didn't know where it was going to come from. The other thing that I, I've done is often it's an enemy or a or a or an environmental effect, like a ghost or something, where they can't directly interact with it and they're only getting hints of it. And they go into a room and then it just does something terrifying, even if it's not mechanically terrifying. They don't know that. They have no idea what it's going to do to them. And so I actually got them to run away. Now, there certainly are D&D players who will just say, oh, well, I have a magic axe and run in there and try to hack to pieces, but... I ran a D&D session once that uh, that I got reports from my players they, that they were actually scared, like, and found it to be a little bit too scary at a point, because uh, they, like, woke up in, like, the nightmare realm, and uh, the... I think the thing that bothered them was the fact that it was 4th edition, and I kept changing the map. And That's awesome. So they were in an inn, and then like the inn rotted away before their eyes into a graveyard in round two, and like the innkeeper hulked out and started trying to bury one of them, and like tried to feed them like cracked open eggs with bloody chicken fetuses in them, and that's, stuff like that. That's actually pretty awesome. And The imagery... The, and bringing in the smells and the sights and the feel of stuff, that's also a good way to get people engaged. Um, but yeah, keep... But they're, they don't know what's going to happen. That's really the only fear that, that... I mean, that's the best way to do fear. Because once, once I can engage it, once I can swing my sword at it, it's not scary anymore. 
Yeah, like I don't. Mm-hmm. It's either going to kill me or I'm going to kill it, right? <laughs> I mean, there's only two ways that could end in D and D. Well, especially if right. you're using stock monsters from the the books. Uh, there are certain characters who just they they know all of them. They've got them memorized. Oh, I um, hate that. That's why I always rolled my own monsters. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I barely ever use stock monsters. I usually did use stock monsters, but I would rename them, um, which yeah, isn't that's a good that works pretty well. Like swap swap the damage types around a little bit. Um, you know, if it's doing acid instead of fire, you're probably not going to realize that it's a fire temple cultist. Um, we could do a whole episode, and we should, on reskinning Fourth Edition D and D, because damn, that is a good thing to do, and there's so much potential there for just awesome gaming. But, um, but yeah, dread. The, the 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 genius of dread is that it gives them a tangible representation of the threat to them and their character right there, mm-hmm. that exists in the real world and they can interact with. And anytime you can bring props in, is good. But that's that's a prop that goes to the core mechanic. One thing I'll probably do in the future, running uh, just hack and slash RPGs, is when when I need some mechanic. When I need some story to be told in a session, you know, drag in one of these games where there's, like, three rules. And I can just say, you know what, for this session, we're going to do this. Like, you've entered the scary dungeon, and now we're playing Dread. Congratulations. I think bringing a Jenga tower to a D&D game is just an awesome idea to begin with. Exactly. And they'll probably appreciate it. Because even though they wanted to play D&D, they did something else and explored some other part of their character that... And and that hopefully kind of you know, had a good time increasingly in, misnamed inverse of campaign. what I was working on doing with my <laughs> campaign, where the actual campaign was, I, I never actually came up with the rules for it. Originally, it was going to be GURPS <laughs> or Paranoia, and then I wanted to do a Paranoia AW hack for the meta game. So you had a so to, to to explain this, you had a meta campaign that where. They would. They were on this failing spaceship, mm-hmm. and the players had to go into the systems. And the systems inside the systems was a matrix-like simulation that was a D and D game. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So you were trying to figure out what to do for the meta game, and actually, a po- in, in, in uh, paranoia themed, powered by the apocalypse, sounds like a. I think. I think. Do, do we'll, we, do we'll, we, we'll include a link to the that that G plus. Sure, and I, I haven't actually even looked at that yet. But you know w- what I did for the. The basically they, they spent one session awake, and that session was mostly them figuring out what was going on, what they were going to do. It was all role playing, no roles at all. I and then everyone I played that on you, and you never played again. Oh, no, no, we, we actually got through the whole <laughs> okay. first mini campaign with them being aware. That is, they they went through uh, basically two two campaigns. One which was just running around Dark Sun, and then one which was they're still in Dark Sun, but they knew that they there was something weird going on, and they had to figure out what. And when they completed the second one, that's when they woke up. And then we had one one session where they were on the spaceship, and they realized the life support was set up for one person and not enough for five people, and the computer was refusing to give them. Uh, let them access the life control support. And computers. Because they didn't have high enough security <laughs> And this is a paranoia-based s- setting. Um, and so they found a hydroponics engineer in Forgotten Realms and went to force him in Forgotten Realms to turn on 
the it, high is that when the and they succeeded at doing that, and that was the last thing they did. Yeah, is turning the life support on <laughs> enough so that they didn't all asphyxiate. Uh. <laughs> well, it's good to leave a you know it, it, it's it, it's good to leave a campaign in a good place narratively for the players. Like like we kept off our our fourth edition campaign, and it was like okay, well that's a really nice place to stop. It was a satisfying mm-hmm. point, even if we never play it again. This last week, I've been playing a lot of Lost Odyssey, which is like the <gasps> Xbox only JRPG from the people that did the first like nine Final Fantasies. I mean, this is the original team, including the composer. I think I think Nobu, Nobuo Uematsu is also on that project. I, I, I want to play that at some point. If only I can lend it to you when I'm done with it. I, I own it. Okay, uh, but at some point. Um, so here's I, the thing: I got a lot of stuff on my plate. It's it's a very stock JRPG with a very stock combat system. There's a few little innovations, but they're nothing that you. They're nothing out of the ordinary. And it is real slow. Like, most JRPGs start out frenetic, and then about disc three stuff, just the plot falls apart because they ran out of money and they had to get through the rest of the dungeons. And then there's a big battle that there's crystals in the end of the world and stuff. This game doesn't really get going until disc three. But the other thing that I think is really interesting about it is that the average JRPG is a story about a bunch of teenage, angsty people. That's, that's the I guess, the target demographic. Mm-hmm. This is a game written by a bunch of old men. <laughs> Family men. And so all of the characters are immortal. They're thousands they're they're a thousand years old. But they're all they're all like parents and grandparents and like that actually factors into the story. Which I think is really, really interesting. And it actually allows a lot of more emotional depth than say as much as I loved Final Fantasy Seven or Nine, like like Two of the two of the main characters are in a genuine, like, long term committed relationship with each other. When has that ever happened in a JRPG? <laughs> you know. So and to us, I don't think people explore that a whole lot in gaming at all. Usually it's the romance aspect if you're gonna do anything at all, but mm-hmm. <laughs> that just reminded me of a uh, GTA San Andreas. Did you guys ever play that? No. Mm-hmm. There they they had a girlfriend's element to it, but there was... So I'm not much into, like, the dating sim element of video games, but one of the girlfriends was hilarious because you hook up with her, and then she, like, runs you off to a cabin in the woods, and she's a bank robber, and she's crazier than your character is. Like, you go into a bank, and during cutscenes, she- cut she's just blowing everyone away, and you're like, man... I don't. I don't know that we should be doing this. And I'm the protagonist in a GTA game. <laughs> I, I think that's actually the dialogue right there. I don't know if we yeah. should do this. And I'm the protagonist in a GTA. And then she game. gets too freaky for you, and you have to like escape their missions in the game to get away from her. to get away from her. Oh wow! That, she is too none intense. Of the romance options in GTA actually counted towards percentage complete. Correct. I don't. I, I don't, I don't track my percentage complete in video games. It would be depressing. <laughs> that was that was one of the last games that I tried to hundred percent, and I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, and I, I think, I think you you just have to like as far as the hundred percent, you you just have to have a uh, girlfriend at some point. You don't have to mm. pursue them all or. Um, Anything crazy like it that makes sense. I don't it, try it really hard to things that aren't on Congregate or Mario. Say that again. I don't try and hundred percent things unless they're on Congregate <laughs> or are Mario. 
And you were awarded for Congregate. Mm-hmm. In, a, yeah. in a sense. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I've been playing a fair bit of... Yeah, I'm not rewarded. Frantic still lower than everyone else's. Three, which is like a shooter. Mm. I'm trying to get the impossible <coughs> badge on there, and oh my god. Um, uh, <laughs> congregate. I'm so glad I have not gotten addicted to that. You, you know what shmups are, right? No. Shmups. Okay. I um, take your word for it. Bullet, bullet hell? Have you heard... Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard so, of Bullet Hell, yeah. Uh, Frantic 3 is a Bullet Hell game where the impossible badge is beat every mission without getting hit. Uh, that, is pretty, that is pretty sick. I've, I've got three left. Oh, wow. Uh, now, one of the options is to play in kamikaze mode, which ups your score multiplier, but if you get hit, you blow up. So you might as that well. That sounds do like that. a good mode. If yes, you're yes, yeah. no, no, it's, it's perfect for it. <laughs> so then you know if you got hit, right? Yeah, well, yeah. And, and if you get hit, you, you just you start, start over. over. Yeah, you don't instantly. have to, you don't have to, like, go and get yourself killed so you can try again. Perfect. Uh, so, so, you know, that's, that's actually kind of nice. But, yeah, I've been, you know, I'll go, oh, I've got 15 minutes here. I'll, I'll run through bonus mission two on level five two or three more times until I get frustrated. I've um, been looking for things with the puzzle and platform keywords. Mm. Although I just played Achievement Unlocked 3, and that was a little disappointing. I loved Achievement Unlocked 1 and 2, <laughs> but Achievement Unlocked 3 just had too much stuff. There was like this whole plot yeah. and stuff with King Hamster and multiple rooms. I got I got the badge of the day and like two other badges, and I just didn't bother with the, the Get 300 Achievements badge. There were just too many achievements, too. I mean, I there were a ton like of achievements in the or something ones, before I was like, eh, I don't care enough. I felt like achievements had meaning back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there were only 50 or 100 of them. Yeah. Well, there were like 100, 100 achievements in the first one. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, you know, and you'd like and, and get... Achievement 100 was get 99 achievements. Well, yeah. okay. And well, I, you have to include You'd that. like that's, have 15 that's achievements by the time you had played for three or four seconds. Yeah. Well, yeah. like, getting achievement 100 was hard. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Or not 100, but 99. Yeah, yeah. Some, some <laughs> of them were like... 200 you know, was easy. Yeah. Have, have seven corpses on the screen at the same <laughs> time. Or yeah. touch every square on the screen. Or Yeah, every time I see the, that blue elephant, I go, oh, another... Because some of the games... I like, have to play them. Except yeah, for Elephant yeah, Quest. I didn't play them. I have to play them, too. The first one was, was pretty... Pretty innovative and neat, and then the rest of them not so much. The first, uh, this game has only one level was, was yeah. pretty fun too. Yeah, that because that was the elephant too, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Right. I, there's, there's. So these, these are these are these are sort of meta. All of these games are yeah. a little bit. Well, the puzzle platform game genre includes like a they have a two D portal. Oh, uh, that's I've that's a, a puzzle platform. Portal. I really it was, it was probably that. It might have been. Um, it was definitely a flash like, game. I just played a game called Quoosh, that where you're a little slime and you yeah, can like, teleport like places. And there's I one called Shifts that they keep making where you can. It, it's got black and white levels, and you can press Shift and flip your character so that your character is white on the black part of the level instead of being black on, black the, on the white part of the level. So so they're all like puzzles. Yeah, and. I really like them. They're fun. Really, I really like games that that like play with perspective too. So like the, the like the two D mm-hmm. platformer in a three D world, so you rotate it and all the. Yeah, have I'm, you ever played one of those? I'm looking forward to that four D platformer coming out. Oh god. Oh man, it's, I think it's going to hurt my it's brain. Going to be disturbing. Yeah. So the other thing that's going on is this Sunday, hopefully, and I tried to do this last Sunday, 
but I'm going to be running a one-shot of um, Monster of the Week, which is another Powered by the Apocalypse game at the local, mm-hmm. friendly local game store, Fun and Games. Where are you doing that? Uh, Sunday at 5.30. Okay. You cool. can come. I might. Monster of the Week, honestly, and I'm... So, so I, I own or have read or have played Apocalypse World, Monster Hearts, Monster of the Week, and uh, Dungeon World. I've not played Dungeon World yet, and I've not played Monster of the Week yet. But Dungeon World is heavyweight, is very, very well written, huh. but it's kind of heavyweight, and I expect it to be something that you're going to need to play a few sessions of. But as far as, like, just Apocalypse World-style goodness, I really feel like Monster of the Week is a good game, and, and it's going to be a great, like, con-slash-one-shot game. Mm-hmm. Because it's... It's 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 one of the things is it's it's so so the whole theme of the game I should explain this is the players are monster hunters so it's like kind of an in X Files Buffy supernatural type of a thing where mm-hmm. it's literally monster of the week it's set up like a TV show there are seasons and all the rest of this stuff and like uh, the the uh, the character playbooks are great though they're really evocative they're as a I think they're as evocative as the original Apocalypse World ones. Mm-hmm. So you've got the um, the government agent. You've got the luchador. You've got what? the because why not? You've got the monstrous who's like you know the spike or the the, mm-hmm. the good werewolf or vampire, the angel character. Or you've got um, the flake who's the conspiracy theory guy. You've got <laughs> the and 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 it's, nice. it's they work exactly as you'd expect them to. So that like the vanilla mortal um, gets points for running into danger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and also for helping, <laughs> like they can always <laughs> just help. <laughs> that makes them relevant. <clears throat> so there, there it is. Like drive plot. Oh, it's it's a fabulous, and it's I think it's like, um, I don't know if 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 you can get the P- what what they're selling it for, but certainly the the PDF is like ten or twelve dollars, um, and it's it's good stuff if you if you like this sort of thing, you want a fun apocalypse world game. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really looking I've, forward to running I've, it. I've, Put in a request from with Blake to get it. I don't know if that's one of the non possibles or not. Well, so the thing about the the, the part by the Apocalypse games is they're all published by different people, mm-hmm. and so some of them are probably available. Like I just found out the other day after I bought Doe online on PDF that Doe Pilgrims of the Flying Temple is available through Evil Hat, who mm-hmm. Blake carries. Don't rest your head, Dresden Files, all the Fate stuff, Spirit of the Century, so. Yeah, I thought there's a Kickstarter for like a Fate Core Rules thing. Which I that. like a yeah, it finished with a bad. zillion dollars, and yeah. I'm totally gonna buy the books when they're in print. I was because just too, too, I, I would have done it, but I was broke at the time. I loved running Dresden Files. Now I like the Jim Butcher stuff. I like that pulpy, but if you want a if you want a pulp game, man, Fate mm-hmm. is just is just awesome, and it has a lot of even though it's a little older, it has a lot of these. Modern RPG aesthetic things associated with them. Just the fact that you get rewarded for throwing your character into trouble. Seriously, though, you, you, players don't play cautiously. Mm-hmm. Like they don't play defensively. They 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 do the right thing, and that mean that makes a bit a lot of difference. Because I know in D and D, a lot of the times, especially in older editions that were a little more lethal, players would spend way too much time planning and right. negotiating bonuses. And mm, yes, they did. <laughs> Do <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, so, do do you often <clears throat> run into in fate systems people not role playing fear? 
<laughs> to, to kind of bring it full full circle here. You know, we that's interesting because, well, okay. So I played with I played with Will and Caitlin and High Cove, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think I did a lot of super like. There was a lot of pulpy action stuff, and there was some definitely some scary shit. But like, I don't I don't remember. I don't remember if there's anything where anyone would necessarily be scared. I mean, there was one point where there was an angry ogre chef running after them, and mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> they, they 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 hit it with a truck, and that didn't really hurt it. <laughs> I don't remember them being sort of surprised and a little shocked at that point. Mm-hmm. One of them actually got thrown physically out of the scene. So yeah, I mean, I guess maybe I don't know. I don't think there was anything in that game, but I, I think you, I think you'd have the same problem as you would in any other game. Yeah. I don't think that you can... I'm not sure we were really ever role-playing Fear in Apocalypse World, for example. Um, I I'd... think Twice definitely had a bit of fear when she was captured by... Um, oh, yeah. That actually was, yeah. Yeah, that, that was, was... That was scary for a while. Uh, that, that one was pretty good. Um, oh, man, I loved that sequence. Um, and I, I think some of the times in the machine... Uh, That's where a lot of the, the really uh, serious action happened. Yeah, but I think I think I, I definitely felt like I myself had fear if even if Eliza wasn't really showing it. So so um, here's the thing I think you can do in Apocalypse World. If you have NPCs that the players care about Put them yeah. in danger oh. because they're real fragile. Yeah, that that's, that did happen. Uh, that that's did happen a good number of times. When when balls bought it, like I was like desperately trying to keep him alive. I and, remember that. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it, it just didn't work. But um, yeah, you know. But I definitely like. Na- I definitely would put different. NPCs in trouble, and I think I thought players were at least really concerned, if not afraid, about right. what would happen. That's fair. Yeah, I guess there was there was a lot of like. Fear for other people's lives. You know what? There's. I just. And I, that actually reminds me of something that I was just reading that the guy who did the writing for some of the Dragon Age. Uh, he was one of the head writers for one of the for one of the Dragon Age games. Was talking about how in a role playing game, a uh, computer role playing game, uh, people imprint so much on the main character that you can't give the main character motivations. All of the motivations that you would normally give to the main character in a story, you have to give to the NPCs around them. If they care, mm. you can't make the player care about something, but you can make the player. You can't make them care about themselves, but you can make them care about. The well, you, you can't. You can't give them motivation. You can't put a motivation in the player, mm-hmm. but you can have people around him who care about things that are motivated and want and need things done. And if it's written well, the player will attach to those NPCs and then want to do that. You know, we'll we'll, yeah. we'll get carried along with it. I guess that's an interesting idea. For, for like tabletop role playing, also, because in a lot of times in in the hack and slash games, characters have no motivations. Their motivation is to show up once a week and roll some, like, dice. Roll some dice and stuff. And having, I mean, I'm generally opposed to the. Uh, I'm going to call it DM suggestion crow, but it's not really that because that was a super tongue in cheek version of itself. But the uh, the Mary Sue. Who like shows up and sweeps the party out of danger, or like engages in cutscenes where they tell the party what to do, like mm-hmm. do this. This is your quest. This is the only quest I, as the DM, am giving you, and I'm giving it to you through this NPC who is me. 
I think everybody has. I think you have to end up doing that because, but I mean, oh, so you say like, like no, villain, like, villain sympathetic NPCs that the yes. players will care about who then have motivations. Yes, and then the trick that. is getting the PCs to care about an NPC. That's fair, but I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think, think you can do it. People are more likely to do that, and it yeah. doesn't. But come off the same way as so. So like the NPCs in D and D campaigns, I almost never give two dams about. There's a few <laughs> that like are memorable. Like the I, I, of course, I can't remember what his name is, but the <laughs> NPC who is our translator and who always sounded sketchy, but we always failed our insight checks, and so it's like. Yeah, it sounds, <laughs> sounds legit. legit. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is where that that meme came from in in the local meta, as it were. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I cared about so many of the apocalypse world characters. The game is designed to do that, right? Though. And um, and you have to have players that are willing to buy into that. Um, and but the NPCs are so much more mechanically important in apocalypse world because they're how you get the things your character needs. Well, but the other thing, the the flip side to that is that. Um, like Eliza cared about a lot of people that twice wouldn't give two yeah. shits. Oh about. yeah, absolutely. Um, which you know, because of the way Apocalypse World has you sit in your character, um, is a lot easier to make. Like even though I was playing two characters, I could be like, uh, you know, Eliza probably didn't really care about balls that much, you know about as much as she cared about Absinthe. Like, both of those people she knew, and they shot people, and they did stuff, and they had some adventures together. But they weren't really part of Sunktown. But twice and balls were tight. Yeah. And and mm. then, you know, three... T- twice wouldn't give three a second glance on the street. And, and Eliza would die for her. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and I could keep that straight because the the NPCs were real people. I mean, not really, but well, you, you, like they were much realer people than if you, know, you it, it, the random barkeep that you run into at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even the, the well, bar- I think, I think, but but I mean, that's the thing. It, I think in a lot of ways, like in D anD D, the rules are not about your interaction with NPCs; they're about your interaction mm-hmm. with dungeons and monsters. So now, like I said, I think you totally do it. And I think Duncan's right. I think I think that 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 you could bring these principles into into a D and D game, but I think they're it's not as it's not as natural of a fit. Like yeah, well, know. I think a lot of it has to do with the travel element. Now that like we're we're talking about apocalypse world and like dungeon crawling in in a lot of the D and D ish games, you're like running around. They're like go to kingdom Y, travel across the mighty desert. And then cross the mountains and so unless you have the rain into traveling Mount Doom. with you, yeah. And yeah. Now if you if you're having a like city based campaign, it'd be a lot easier because you know maybe the the PCs are always hanging out at the same bar because that's where they rent their rooms and there are a bunch of people who sit around there and talk to them. So I know Will had a less than stellar experience with Pathfinder Society, but having done uh, six or seven sessions now, uh, including one I ran. Uh, one of the things that Pathfinder Society does have uh, that most traditional D&D doesn't is tons of reoccurring characters. You know, usually you're getting your mission from Drendel Drench, who's like one of the head guys in the Pathfinder Society. And some people hate him, some people like him. Um, <laughs> you know, he's he's the mission giver. 
Uh, and, but then, you know, there's other people you'll run into, and, like, sometimes, depending on what modules you've done, you'll know the person and already have stuff. Like, there was one, one mission I played in which had uh, some ciphers in it. Now, I happen to be really, really good at ciphers. So, like, uh, I, like, basically blew the top off of Adam's head because he was running it, and, like, he handed out the cipher and was like, all right, well, we're going to time this, and that's how much, however much time it takes you is how much time it takes you. And so I was like, okay, so we're missing six letters here. Does the name blah, blah, blah mean anything to anybody? And it did mean some stuff to other people because they played in other campaigns, but, you know, it, it took me three and a half minutes to basically crack the cipher from what little was already given there and then some some messages and you know we we didn't we actually only had 20 of the 26 letters as solvable yeah from the clues they'd given mm-hmm. us and like he didn't even know that like he the DM had <laughs> well because it's a prepackaged module yeah, too yeah yeah but i think one of the things that you can do too like you talk about having a setting with recurring characters mm-hmm. um what what the thing that one of the things that makes NPCs important in apocalypse world is that the PCs need things from them. They're the, they're the people that supply the food. They supply the power. They supply the the, the muscle. They, they they keep you safe. They do this. They do that. Mm-hmm. What I I think in D and D, if you're going to create a, a character that the players have to care about, then one of the things that you can do is make them be able to give the make them be a source of something the players need. Mm-hmm. Um, so like. I remember back one campaign I ran, the players met this duke who was sort of a, an upstart noble in this town and fighting against the corrupt political water, blah, 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 blah. But they, he was able to provide them not only with missions, but also with like political cover to get into places mm-hmm. and to do this and that and the other thing and financial backing and you know things of that nature. And so they needed him. Right. And I sort of tried to make him a cool guy too and so that they wanted to interact with him. Right. Like, they kept going back to talk to him. Mm-hmm. See, I, I like that. I, the, uh, the Mary Sue, like, DM characters who get my goat are the ones who force themselves upon the party constantly. They just drive me nuts. Elminster? Yeah, Elminster. <laughs> what a terrible character. So, so I, I was telling Dave earlier about the, the All Flesh Must Be Eaten campaign, and the talk of Mary Sueism. Reminds me of Pumpkin is running a campaign and he's playing in the campaign and we're all playing as ourselves. Well, he's running it and playing in it. How do you do that? Is, is it? Well, is he's kind of an NPC. Yeah, he's kind of an NPC. Oh, um, that's pretty, not gonna work. Okay. Well, the the, the funny oh. funny story is pretty early on. Um, I'm he's kind of like passes off as this wasn't what he was doing but I'm pretty sure he was trying to kill himself like by getting bitten by a zombie and um, (laughs) like we were in fun and games like getting supplies and checking on Conrad who wasn't actually there and like some random chick who'd who'd, he'd let in because she'd gotten attacked before we knew what the zombie was was there and so my solution had been glue her hands to the table uh, because you know, now I've seen those tables. The the, the the top of the table would come right off. Yeah, maybe. Um, you can't put a ta- soda down on those without them crumbling. This was one of the tables in the back. It at least like I, I'm kidding. But anyway, regardless, like he was over there. He he had taken over the gluing her hands to the table. Like no, I'll do it. 
And so he was like, all right. And then, then she like wakes up. And I was like, okay, well, I hit her with this 2x4, which I just picked up. The 2x4, the which keeps the back door open during the summer. And he's like, oh, I thought you were over getting the toolbox. I was like... No, I'm not going to get the toolbox till your leave. Like his plan was for well, me to not be the, there. And here's the thing: this is the point at which <laughs> this is the point at which a DM simply says, "All right, this is happening in a cutscene. Yeah, deal with it." Well, like I've done that before. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, but no, no, <laughs> I, I I saved him from the the zombie or the possible bite that he might have gotten, and we would have to worry about later. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's not. Is that Mary Sue? No, it's the opposite sure. of that. The 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 the, Mary, the, 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 yeah. the DMPC yeah. thing is is a common complaint. Um, but you 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 have to understand that your role is just different as a, as a game master. You mm-hmm. can't. And actually, that's a good segue into what I actually kind of wanted to talk about today, which was transitioning back and forth between player and GM. So I just got finished emceeing a, a long two-season campaign of Apocalypse World. Yanni was playing in that, and Duncan was playing in that, now Yanni is emceeing Monster Hearts, and Duncan, you often will DM... Yeah, I've, I've DM'd some D&D, and uh, I'm working on my own D&D to DM, Can, because... But, but you mentioned Segway, <laughs> and that... I, I'm going to make a very small dis- digression. Today's Girl Genius featured... Uh, Kind of segues with cannons on them. Theme um, <laughs> from Mechanicsburg. Um, if you read Girl Genius, you should definitely read today's. Or if you don't, you should at least check out uh, February fifteenth. Well, any vehicle is better with cannons. Yeah, I, I was wondering about like the safety of firing them, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Maybe they got a tripod on the back. <laughs> anyway, um, switching between. So- DMing so, and playing. This is a transition I just had to make the last session. And the thing that really struck me was when I'm emceeing, I have to constantly be in every scene. I have to be making the world happen. I have to be thinking of, do I make a move now? Do I not make a move now? What is What are the NPCs in the scene motivated to do? What would be interesting? And it is... I'm constantly in it. Sometimes I need to take breaks just to, you know, to, to, to get my head straight. And when two or three PCs get into a conversation and they're just interacting, uh, the that's actually a time I can kind of take a break. I can mm-hmm. kind of sit back, absorb it, uh, you know. Uh, then, you know, if I need to break in, if... if, if and, and there's other issues along with that, like, uh, okay, well, the, you know this is going on too too long, maybe I should have something happen, or we need to cut to a different scene or this, that, everything, but like, that's a kind of a, that's a break time for me. When I'm sitting in the player's chair, um, you're not in a lot of the scenes. And so, as a DM, you're naturally, in your head, you're planning, you know, and what I find is I don't listen enough to what's going on, I miss details, or I want to, like, jump in with advice, or this should happen, or this should happen, and like, I can't, I can't do that. And then when I'm playing, I, it's, it's that relinquishing control over the narrative. It's relinquishing control over what's outside of me as a thing, because that's that's the way the Power by the Apocalypse world games work. They're, the players really only have control over their own characters. The MC does really control the world. So that was a thing that that I was thinking, like, it's, it's, a, it's a big shift. Mm-hmm. And I think, as a player, I need to sit back and just listen 
listen more. That's that's the thing that. See, I I kind of had a slightly different perspective in that, you know, when I'm playing uh, playing Apocalypse World and I'm not in a scene, uh, I kind of feel like. I can enter a passive mode, like when I'm watching a TV show, I can see what's going on and just pay attention to it unfolding, and I don't have to do anything, um, which is you know it's nice, it's kind of relaxing. I can, and then when my character becomes involved, I can reengage, or if you know there's some little, uh, what are we gonna, how are we gonna explain this? You know, maybe I can uh, participate a little bit without you know trying to describe some something or whatever. Um, whereas now as a MC, you know, when we've had a PC-PC interaction, I, I don't feel that same, um, passiveness, because I still have to pay attention to, to know when to say, oh, well, you're trying to shut Robin down, or, you know, are, are you trying to turn him on, or, uh, you know, Or just have an NBC do something. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, you know, there's... The car ride with three three PCs yeah. is not really going to be any. There is going to be a whole lot of things to unless do. like there's some cop comes and pulls them over or something, and <laughs> you know. But for the most part, I, I can't I can't enter passive mode as the MC at all. Um, I can't just sit back, relax, and watch it unfold. Uh, so which, you're getting a little less of the sort of watching TV entertainment value. Out yeah, of it. yeah. Which you know isn't necessarily bad, but it means. It means my brain has to be in gear the whole time. And, and actually, what's but the watching TV aspect of this is actually one of the appeals of the Powered by the Apocalypse games. Oh yeah. I mean, so it, it it's actually I you know for me it wasn't it wasn't a big letdown, but I think actually that could be a, a reason not to MC if you really are like the watch the you know, watching a story aspect of it. I, I think, and that's too distracting. If if I had a time machine, I would go back. And I would have run Apocalypse World, and you'd run Monster Hearts, <laughs> just because I think uh, apocalyptical settings are more my milieu. Gotcha. Um, and you know, I, I think I could play a character with integrity in any setting. Yeah. Um, but making the world seem real is going to be a little harder for me in this than in. Well, you're also the farthest removed from high school of all of us, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if only by yeah. a little over me. <laughs> So what about you? I mean, obviously D&D is very different than the type of games yeah. that we've been playing here. I actually... I don't know. I, so I probably have DM'd almost as much D&D as I've played. Uh, but one of the things that I actually like to do is when the players are planning, I, ju- I just kind of sit there. And I have a short attention span and get burned out pretty quickly. So I actually kind of like the long pauses of not being involved in Apocalypse World, I can get up, get a drink, like, just sit back and let it all flow over me. And, uh, so in D&D, you know, sometimes the players will be like, alright, we want to set up an ambush. I'll be like, well, go ahead, draw draw me a map of where you're ambushing. And then you get to take a little nap while they're drawing the map. Yeah, I, I just, like, sit down, maybe get a drink of water, get a so snack. There's more downtime in D&D as a DM. Yeah, except during combat. Yeah. And that's that's the thing that burns me out. I like I am trying to find something where as the DM it can be more of a question answer type of game where like the players are doing things and they'll be like, Alright, we wanna do this, what happens? 
Because I mean that that like in D and D, when especially fourth edition, which is a really heavy emphasis on tactical combat, because mm-hmm. in DM you're not really going, you're not really like working on the tactics. You're not really thinking like what are the monsters going to do and make this exciting for the players. Then the challenge level of the encounter goes down, and the players aren't. Yeah, it's not as much fun for the players. Yeah, and it's it's uh, it's tough to like make make them real make every monster be doing something that seems reasonable, right? Well, if you look at old dungeons, I, I mean, they, they didn't make any sense ecologically <laughs> or anything. Like, even yeah. even the dungeons that were designed by a wizard, um, mm. just like, okay, so where do the monsters go to eat, or how come the kobolds don't get swallowed by... I always the have that next... problem when I'm designing dungeons. I'm like, oh, man. there needs to be a guardhouse. Where did these guards come from? There's a guardhouse. Like, there's a bathroom in the guardhouse. I... The the fish live in the water that's right here. And I have to think about these things, and it makes my dungeons look funny. I, I do that all the time. It's a, right? it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a real balancing act. You know, because I've, I've, I've created some third edition modules as well, between functionality and, and sensicalness of the space... Versus the fun of exploring it, mm-hmm. and you really, and, and really, like a keep or a castle is not actually that big of a space a lot of the time. Especially no, it's not the, nearly as big as a D and D map. No, like having been in some of those, like I think yeah. I, I had this, I had this, this, this keep that I created that it was, it was like one big room with a couple of guard rooms on the first floor, like four rooms upstairs, and then I had to add a whole like cave system below it to make it like any kind of module that the players can interact with. Yeah. So I have I have a DMing tip from where Duncan was talking earlier about how uh, when the players are planning, you like to sit back. What I like to do is when the players are discussing different plans, is listen. Like especially if I don't have a set way in. I'll listen to like the three or four options they come up with, and while they're still discussing it, I'll pick the one that I think is the most likely to succeed <laughs> mm-hmm. before they've decided settled on something. And then maybe I'll pick like one that'll be a little bit harder and one that's a little harder, and then the one that is like going to be freaking impossible. And then I will try and I'll try and have figured that out based on what their plans are before they actually. Finish arguing, but the right answer is right. always something they came up with. Right. Yeah. So even but, if their first choice isn't right or doesn't work yeah. out, then one of their other choices right. will. But, See, but that's also, where the player-driven like question-answer part of DMing comes from. But you know, if they're like, like "Well, that. we could we could climb the walls, or we could go through the sewers, or we could fast talk our way in," I can be like, "Okay, if they fast talk their way in, assuming they don't flub all their rolls, that's going to be the easiest." But going through the sewers is going to be the second easiest because there's lots of people on top of the walls. And then if the players decide, okay, well, we're going to go over the walls, they're going to have a hard time of it. Um, but, you know, if they decide they're going to go through the sewers, then that's probably going to work. And, you know, especially if their plan... And I, I try to be fair and impartial about it. You know, the one of the big things in Apocalypse World and, and Monster Hearts is play run run the world with integrity. Yeah. Um, and I always try and do that in D uh, and D, or and that's not a one. that's not a consensus opinion in D and D. Yeah, I mean, that, that in, in in a lot of traditional games, that like, you know, I mean, they're, well, I mean, and, and they're attempting to hide information from the players to make that to give them a more of a challenge. Well, is a is a common tactic, and I think that I think information that they should know, they should know, yeah. uh, but. 
you know, on, on the other hand, um, I ran a cyberpunk campaign once, and a guy ran into an airport with a gun, and, like, the guy he was chasing got away because he got accosted by security, because you don't <laughs> run into an airport with a gun. That's true, um, no. Right now. Yeah. Not in 2070, either. Um, well, who You're in 2070 4th edition, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Oh, this is this was uh, Cyberspace, which was one of those games that came out when Cyberpunk was really big. Um, oh, uh, that, so, that's so, yeah. I'm, I'm revealing my age here. No, um, no, no. We were, well, I was a lot. Okay, I read Cyberpunk. There you go. Yeah, well, th- there was a time where Cyberpunk uh, 2020 came out. See, we have Cyberpunk and Steampunk. Then next, we're gonna have like medieval. Like, well, there's already Diesel Punk. Dungeon Punk and Diesel Punk. Yeah. We have Stone and Age Punk soon. Steampunk. What? Runepunk. Club Prog. Club Punk. Is that is Runepunk like like Norse? Uh, Runepunk is, is like magic. Okay. Like like one you might call War Machine Runepunk. I, I, I mean, it's it's really more of a steampunk Runepunk. That has that but, it, but it's but more. Rune, if, you, if you took out the steampunk heavy. side of that, then it would. Yeah, be Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, Everybody's got their magic swords and stuff. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh. So, I think that's... Okay. So, I think that's probably a good place to tie it up, unless anyone has anything else they want to add on that. Um, well, I did also, mm-hmm. while I was printing stuff out for Monster Hearts, uh, print out the rules to see Dracula. Oh! I have told you guys about. Uh, you know what? It's um, funny. I was looking through the... Uh, there's an indie RPG awards that they do every year, and almost all of the games that I've purchased have won at some point or another, or come in second. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, like, it's a good indicator of... Um, it's a good indicator of what good games are. I guess there's probably more good games that have made the lists, but all of the all of the games that are on the list and near the top are good games. And Sea Dracula was on one of the. I saw that. And I was this, like, is, oh. this is this is all of one double sided page for rules, and the rest of it is like ads. Um, <laughs> for, there's, there's a page. Is of, this a Sea Dracula is one dollar? You can get it from Nick and Jake. <laughs> Uh, I love game, the, the, the mini games that are like a dollar or two dollars or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the dollar is mainly to cover the cost of printing. Uh, <laughs> I, I, and and in all fairness, a one dollar game is what got me into gaming in the first place. Man, um, some of those are in in an old analog magazine from the seventies. I got a send a sace and one dollar. Uh, Stasis, self-addressed stamped envelope for those of you who don't know what that is anymore um, <laughs> to Steve Jackson Games and we will send you That's a awesome. complete game that you can play just from this and it was like a legal sized double sided color uh, printout of the rules and a couple of stretches of road and some cars and like mines and spikes and debris and a couple of motorcycles, and you can <laughs> drive cars with rocket launchers and machine guns around and blow each other up. And I was like, this is so awesome. And then I got, um, I think, I'm not sure if it was the full game of Car Wars or Ogre Next, but, you know, I started started down the road. And, and there's a whole host of free games that sort of fall into the indie RPG category as well. Like, uh, a lot of people have played... Um, uh, Lady Blackbird, um, mm-hmm. which is a decent game. Um, I haven't played Ocean, but I've got the PDF, and I think that was free. Um, there's Mister Gate, which we tried. Um, and I think I could, did I play that? 
Yeah, yeah that was the one where we were with the, with, the, with the sword. Oh, yeah, the, the wuxia game. Yeah, that, that was, yeah. That's, it was okay. It was pretty I th- decent. I think that was in in the same boat as Vesnathal. Vesnathal was two dollars and the, was the, the game <laughs> had a lot more potential than it lived up to. Um, I think there was a problem with player driven plot in that game yep. because. Like, as much as I feel like player-driven plot is really what we all strive for, we were just sitting around, like, not really knowing what we were doing. Yeah. yeah. And and you have to have a bunch of people that are all really intent on driving plot. Well, it's like Fiasco, yeah. but I think Fiasco we, we have a much better feel for. Also, mm-hmm. doesn't Fiasco... I've never actually played it before, but doesn't it, oh, we should, we like, should play it insert conflicts... It like from forces, the game itself. Yeah, you're right. You're, no, no. Yeah, the setup has the setup has that piece of paper built, with the dice rolling on it. Yeah, is the DM in that you, game. You, yeah, you weren't basically. here for the. No, um, you guys played Dysfunctions and Dragons oh, when I was right. down with a uh, gum infection <laughs> slash. I, I am food so poisoning. sad. I don't think we recorded that. <laughs> I think that was before we started oh. recording, and that was that was just before we started recording. And Dysfunctions and Dragons was. Yeah, was that was that was that was a lot of fun. One of the mm-hmm. most fun I've played. Oh man, at I wish we D and would love to listen to that again. I wish we had it. <laughs> I would love to play that sometime. Why don't we? Do you want? Let, do you want to play Fiasco? Is can that even be happened with three players? It's yeah. three to five. Oh, so yes. Okay, sure. All right. Well, we'll we have our game for the evening. I'm going right. to pause this recording and use the. This podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com. I Podcast Magic Missile, attacking the darkness since 2012.